Hi, I'm Henry Welton. Do you enjoy the Zombie Motion podcast and want more content? Then check out the Zombie Motion social media linked in the description. We've got animations, music, stories, and more. We're even open to collaborators coming onto the podcast to share their music and short stories. If you want to share your content, email zombiemotionofficial at gmail.com to sign up for a slot. And hey, keep creating. Far away from the coasts of darkness, over the seas of no man's land, we come to you from our haven on the hill. Welcome to the Zombie Motion Podcast. Hello there, listeners. Welcome to our own little cubbyhole, lost somewhere in the deep forests of the English countryside. Today I'm here with our very own author and illustrator, Mr. Ian Newbronner. Greetings. He has studied at Chelsea School of Art and Design, Goldsmith College, and Camberwell School of Fine Art in London, and has also written the Grimlick books. So Ian, tell us about your journey into art. Um... Well, I first started out uh, drawing because I was uh, dyslexic and unable to um, participate in classes. So my uh, infant school teacher used to put me um, at the back of the class and just got me to copy pictures while everybody else was learning um, at different subjects. Um, although I was allowed to participate in end of the day uh, storytelling where the teacher would read from the chosen book for that week which I used to love Would you say that the story time section at the end of the day inspired you to write Grimlock? Um, yeah I've always loved uh, listening to stories um, especially if they're read really well um, or if you're reading them yourself, they're, if they're well like the illustrations just connect with you or um, the story is just fun I mean ones that come to mind that I love are well I suppose my all time favourite would be Rupert Bell um, I just, as a kid every year you'd get uh, an annual of Rupert Bell and obviously uh, comics like Dandy what inspired you to develop your art style in the first place? Which artists had the most impression upon your style? Um, because I kind of sort of divided the two sections up. So the children's books is more for obviously for children, although adults can read them because it'd be either read by adults to children or um, adults can just read them just because they just want to be silly. Um, <coughs> so that, that influence is the, it, Rupert Bear, um, J.K. Rowling, uh, Harry Potter, um, Gruffalo, um, uh, Mr. Ben um, would have all influenced, uh, Jack and Nori would have influenced all of that. And uh, the, the more adult stuff um, that I do is uh, Dali, Zabadol Dali. 
um, uh, Alex Gray, uh, people like that, people, anybody that is kind of pushing the boundaries of their imagination and trying to draw something that's unique and that's not been seen before or trying to do it. So, I also class myself as a uh, surrealist poet, so I'm heavily influenced by Oscar Wilde, um, Byron, um, Aubrey Beardsley in particular, um, yeah, classical music, anything that kind of inspires me really. Uh, one that comes to mind recently was attending um, the cemetery or a sleep garden um, which inspired me in different ways. It inspired me musically um, with cut-ups as an art form um, but also artwork as well because I've started to do a little bit of cut-up uh, with the artwork that I'm doing. Um, so yeah, many different influences. I think you can always draw on your past influences but then you should always be influenced by what surrounds you, what you see, and you with, and you know, so. so you believe that art is defined by a person's environment and who they are with? Yeah, and I think it's trying to make a personal statement on that particular experience that you might be having, whether it's a personal experience or whether it's a collective experience. So for example, I'm just uh, in developing uh, a new Grimlick book um, which is called Grimlick and the Viberless uh, which is uh, loosely based on the COVID-19 um, coronavirus uh, um, pandemic um, so it's loosely based on that but to approach it in a kind of sort of a, a sort of childlike comedy uh, aspect to it so there's going to be lots of laughs in it lots of um, looking at uh, a virus in a different way, in a magical way um, through children's eyes so yeah I, that's an external experience which we were all experiencing and but then there's personal experiences so um, I always have this connection like with death relation to like things like suicide or just death and the idea of being in the cemetery or sleep garden and what that is and how little is uh, spoken spoken about that by people that should really know more than what they do now and I'm kind of sort of talking about science uh, and religions things like that so yeah personal experiences my work is always affected by my physical Every day, you know how much energy I've got, or how tired I am, or if I'm in pain, or yeah, I think you should always be open to um, weave your artistic expression. Having said that about artistic expression and artistic experiences, experiences being a f being the driving force for artistry. Would you say that everything could be art? Um, well, art is in the eye of the beholder, so it's what that the experiencer or the, the audience 
the experiences and if it resonates with them and they see it as an art form then it is an art form so yes answer to that question have you always felt that way about creating art or has that been a mindset that has developed through the many decades you've been developing your art style um, well I don't think there should ever be a kind of um, you know, police force that tells people what they see as art and what they don't see as art um, so I did do there's a piece of artwork that I did when I was about 16, 15, 16, which kind of talks about that. Um, which is about the art committee. And I always found that interesting. Because uh, what I was drawing about, because at the time I was applying for colleges, but also I was interested in um, some competitions at the National Gallery. So, yeah, I... I, I'm very interested in self-expression, and I think sometimes these, if, you, if you're involving other people, you, depending on who's viewing it, could be influenced by that. So I don't think that's, um, I think from an art, from my point of view, I don't think that's important in the conception of the, the piece. The only time that really becomes important is in the viewing of the piece, so it then... Uh, viewing the art piece shapes the person who is viewing it, in a way. Yeah, in different ways. You, you, you want a, a reaction. Mm. So you can't sort of say, oh, well, I only want this reaction. So you, you, you want a reaction. So if it's a good reaction or a bad reaction, it's irrelevant. You want reaction to your artwork I see um, if you are trying to um, have a specific reaction then that's the fun of the art piece because you don't know if you are going to get that specific reaction or not but it's entirely down to the audience the, the artist's work finishes and he finishes the art piece, unless it's a performance, obviously. But even then, the performance, uh, the, the audience or the viewer has to observe what they're experiencing um, before they can actually formulate any kind of idea as to how that's influencing them, positive or negative. So, I don't know, I, I don't I think as artists, you should produce your work and that's it and if people love it or hate it then that's really not your problem the only time it will become a problem is if they're trying to sell your work but the art isn't about how much money you make art's about expression mm. so yeah I think the audience becomes important because that's what you're producing your artwork for to some degree and if it's a means to an end people are going to look at your work um, so you kind of have that in the back of your mind to some degree so maybe the aesthetics of how it looks so for example if it's a, a painting you know, the size of the painting and how it might look depending on where it's going on the wall um, 
but it, to me, it's two different. It's two individual things. It's the artist creates the work, and then the viewers or the audience then observes the work, and then they react to it. Speaking of the audience, there has been a movement, as far as I've noticed, in the last few decades at least, where artists that have been called copiers have been basically taking images from online and copying them without adding any artistic license. What do you think of that? Do you think it's a great starting place, and then you build from there? Or do you think something else? Um, well, my kind of, I'm just logical with that, really. I think if you put artwork out into the public domain, then it belongs to the public. So if the public then copy that, um, in the sense of, you know, they reproduce it as a picture, or through pencils, pens, etc., etc., then I think. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. If they are just ripping you off, um, then you know there's no change, there's no difference, nothing, nothing really thought about it. Then that's just well, that's the point. Of that. That's why it's time. It's not expressing itself. I mean, all 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 artists are influenced by past artists to some degree, whether it's musical, musically, or, um, through art, uh, paint. Acting, you know, we're all influenced in one way, shape, or form. Just that one specific way is, is you know, described as copyright. It seems a bit ridiculous to me. Uh, I mean, people generally kind of, when they listen to music or they look at artwork or they're acting, they, they, they sometimes might say, "Oh, they they remind me of blah blah." But they, they, the only reason that would be is because either they either look like them. Or uh, their style is influenced by that person to some degree, amongst mm. many other um, contributors. So it seems a bit ridiculous to me. Um, and I think it's always obvious, you know, if you um, I don't know, take someone's artwork and you just completely copy it and start selling it, then that's clearly, you know, taking. Well, there's no artistic integrity there, is there, really? Well, it's taking that person's um, in, you know, intellectual property away from them. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I think it's a compliment and, and not a compliment at the same time. I think there's a lot of responsibility by the um, performers and creatives to you know, copyright their work. So you know, if you put artwork up, you know, copyright. If you don't want people to copy it, um, I think it's just, I think it's a compliment, really. I think it, it's like Andy Warhol when he produced um, his, some of his pop art, and he took the image of, let's say, uh, Campbell's suit and just reproduced different. Um, it was different colours and hues, wasn't yeah, it? Different, but I think so. Like, Ten different images of the same Campbell soup in different colours. Mm. So, I don't know. I mean, that's an iconic piece of artwork. So, 
It is, yes. I think it's always going to be, it's either going to be an issue or a problem. I mean, if someone completely takes your work and doesn't, I, I, I don't know, I think that artists, you, you'll, you'll get a lot more from art if you produce your own work. But to say that you're not going to be influenced by other artists is, doesn't, it's not logical to me. Do you think that the term artist is very restrictive? Um, not really, no, it's just the word, it's just, I mean, you're a creative person, if you put it into the word, so the word is a spell, um, then the spell then conjures how you then react. If you just go, oh, I'm an artist, and I can't do anything else, then that's not the word, that's the... That's the mindset of the person who is saying that. Yeah. So, we spoke about Grimlick earlier on. Uh, did you base Grimlick off of anyone you know? Uh, Grimlick is based on many different characters. Um, he is, well, part of him is me, obviously. Uh, part of him is his spirit spirit world. Um, but he has a little bit of, I think he's got a little bit of everybody in him. And basically, he's sort of an idyllic kind of um, gentle troll that um, looks after the other wizard witches in some way, shape or form. Well, I think we all sort of want that one person that is there for us uh, in our experience and journey through through life, so yeah, he's based off of many sort of different characters, male and female. It's just that his appearance is, is um, of a mouth. You've created a language for the world of Grimlick. What inspired you to start creating that language? Um, well, I think when he came through, I mean, that's how, how he kind of spoke. I don't think his uh, Grimlick is. Um, I don't think he's, a, <laughs> yeah, he's not. He's not a wordy person, but then. He um, you know, likes to likes to play with words, so he's almost that. Oh, and that's a dyslexic thing. That's I think a lot of dyslexic people would love to know lots of different words. Um, so, I mean, I've done that all my life. I, I will say words wrong. I will write words wrong, and I think, what does that say? <laughs> it's it's quite oh. Have I invented a new word? Um, it's like the, um, the uh, Bibleus um, we were checking out the other day. Uh, and no, it isn't a word, so. The word doesn't exist. No, the word doesn't exist. So we've invented a new word. Just got to put down what it means. It's something around <laughs> a troll virus of some sort. Um, and yeah, so words just come up in different ways, and I think it's that um, non-editing of yourself. If you don't edit yourself, and you say you can do, uh, um, uh, then you can. And I suppose the other part of the language is that it is, I suppose. 
it kind of has a rhythm to it which reflects the, the, the illustrations um, like for example uh, the, the original idea of the wobble was that the way that they walk so they, uh, in London uh, being a Londoner um, they will say London and they've got London bowls and I never really understood that what they meant by it was a London bowl but it, you know it's, it's, it's the way that we walk um, it's like an accent. I, I remember going on a um, course years and years ago, and I was with an American. And um, it wasn't until the end of the week, well, in the middle of the week, and she said, "Sometimes I can't understand what you're saying because of your London accent." And so I said, "Well, what do you mean?" And she said, "You should speak very, very quickly." Well, I've never noticed that. I just it's not something that I was aware of. No, because that's the thing, when you come from a certain place and you get used to your own accent, it's like that's how you defaultly see. That's just it doesn't make any other sense to speak any other way. Yeah, exactly. And that's 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 what I was trying to create with uh Rimlet, that he has I didn't want to create a, a foreign language, um but this is kind of Sort of sporadic dotting of different, um, different words and languages. And the other influence is the idea of Old English or the, the, the kind of Celtic sort of language. Oh, it always fascinates me that the Welsh had their own language and the Scots had their own language and the Irish had their own language and the English had their own language uh, and how it is transparent in the different um, parts of the UK where in England it's not quite as well known what our old language was but in Wales it's it's know, celebrated well it's celebrated and, and they speak it um, certainly in Ireland they do and certainly to some degree in Scotland but certainly Wales they speak this amazing language um, and you know we had that language in, in England as well. So, but it's much more obscure. It's not. You know, I'm sure you could find um, that language, but it it, it it's evolved and changed over. You know, it didn't start off as one language. It's evolved from like, uh, Germanic, from uh, you know, Gaelic, and things like that. Um, so yeah, I find language interesting and um, how it can be very important. You know, you've got to spell it this way and you must say it this way to, well, you know, the word is evolved and changed sort of many, many times, especially like through Rome and things like that. It's interesting how different languages have crossed over into our own. Mm. So that's the same with, um, yeah, same with Fluminet. Uh, so, I mean, that's a journey in the story of its sort of own, uh, and what they call things and what they don't call things. Um, and I didn't want, really want to do a, um, a big sort of in-depth, because it's aimed at a certain uh, kind of person, uh, like young person. So I wanted 
But for example, if you were reading something like Tolkien, you'd have to get to a certain age before you sort of read Tolkien. So I kind of wanted to bring a world slightly down to a more sort of younger audience. And uh, my daughter said that, and that wasn't intentional, but she said, oh, you've managed to sort of fuse together the idea of the Gruffalo and uh, Harry Potter. And Gruffalo being the illustrations and kind of this friendly character to that you know, he's a magical being he you know he casts spells he um, you know, does experiments and he's quite interested in culture and some magical gates and making things appear and disappear and you know, and really being looking at life in a magical uh, perception so that was interesting that sheep and I didn't pick up on that I never looked at women being like the buffalo or like uh, Harry Potter um, I mean, the only influence that I did have was Tolkien when I sort of started out in the sense of I wanted to create a world, but not anything quite as in-depth as, because that's just obsessive. Um, Tolkien's sort of, um, yeah, quite rightly so, because they're fantastic, fantastic pieces of literature. Because um, I'd written earlier, uh, Bobby the Robot. Um, it was just a simple idea of the feeling of receiving uh, something special at a certain time of year, which happened to be Christmas. And, um, but it was a robot, so it was, and, and looking at a robot in a sort of a, um, an affectionate way, um, and, and that they got feelings and passion, um, which is quite interesting actually, because later on I actually watched um, a short film, which was about a robot, was being mass produced. And the story goes that this one robot goes through and is following all the tests and then they make one test. Oh, yeah. you'll have to, this one will have to be. But then she argues with him in a human one. Which convinces him to let her go. Yeah, and, and she connects with his heart and he says, okay, the gun calls me in trouble. Did you hear that? Don't cause me any trouble or any problems. Sounds rather ominous. Well, listeners, we are going to have to take you to the art supply stores. Good afternoon. I'm Angie from the Witches Bazaar, and I'm here this afternoon to read to you a short excerpt from the third of the Grimlick stories, Grimlick and the Knights of the Bad Temper, by Ian Nubronner and Angie Welton. That's me. I hope you're sitting comfortably. Grimlick was mud washing his clothes. What's this? It means washing your clothes in a potent mud mix, which is very smelly. It was early morning bird rise and all was very quiet within the cottage, except for Grimlick's noisy clothes washing. Grimlick's cottage was half asleep and a little put out by all the noise Grimlick was making while mud washing his clothes. What are you doing, troll? said the cottage in a rather heavy sigh. 
My clothes were beginning to lose their lovely horrid smell, so I needed to do some mud washing to get rid of the freshness yuck, answered the wizard. Oh, Grimlink, but please keep the noise down as I have roof ache, said the sleepy cottage. In that moment, Grimlick could hear a commotion coming from the woods. What the wobbles could that be? he thought as he wobbled towards the window of the cottage and peered through. To his shock and surprise, he could only watch as his mud washing was pinging off the line and being flung around by the calibus, that's horses, with knights upon their backs. Grimlick rushed out of his door and into his garden, where he was greeted by the sight of Calibus, that's horses, don't forget, and their knights all tangled up with his, his clothes. What the one weaving wizard is going on here? demanded the now very animated troll, as he attempted to gather his smalls from the rampaging invaders in his garden. What's going on? he kept repeating. Asking the rampaging group, Who is in charge? Grimlick stood for a while, waiting for a girlash from one of the invaders. He waited for someone to wobble forward as he watched the chaos unfold before him. Grimlick was getting no response as all the knights were far too busy in the muddle of the muddle and trouble. In the middle of the muddle and trouble. And were looking... Mm, a little sad, all tangled up in Grimlick's muddy smalls. Eventually, someone came forward from under the mountain of Grimlick's mud washing. He looked like a knight. He was wearing armour. Before Grimlick could speak, the knight looked straight at him with piercing eyes preparing him for the knight's bad temper. What in the helmets and chainmail are you doing putting your mud washing up in a restricted area of interest of the order of the knights of the bad temper? Did you not receive the note from our envoys? shouted the very bad-tempered knight. Grimlick was going to have to get used to this bad temper in the coming days. Grimlick was a little taken aback by the gruff, wordy march of the knight's manner. But before the troll could gurgle a sound, a very broad bugle sounded, which seemed to indicate to the Calibus riders that they were in the wrong place. <clears throat> and they all charged out of Grimlick's garden, taking with them half of Grimlick's mud washing. Grimlick was left standing motionless, in the middle of what was now left of his mud washing with his mouth wide open in amazement after the kerfuffle had died down and Grimlick had composed himself he glanced down and noticed a flag had been dropped by one of the knights Grimlick reached down and picked up the flag on it read the very grand order of the knights of the bad temper Please, if lost, please return to the address on the reverse. In that moment, Grimlick decided he would pay a wobble visit to the knights and retrieve his small belongings. 
He wobbled around and went back inside his cottage and prepared his magic bag for the journey and then set off on the path toward the dwellings of the Knights of the Bad Temper, muttering all the way to himself about how he would write a very strong wordy spell to the Grand Master of the Order to find out what the whizzy-wacky wobblers they were looking for. I hope you enjoyed that little excerpt, and if you want to find out what happens to Grimlick <laughs> on his quest to try and retrieve his smalls from the Knights of the Bad Temper, you're going to have to buy the book. If you go along to our, to our website, the Witches Bazaar, that's B-A-Z-A-A-R.com, on the front page there is a big red button that you can press to go and buy uh, this this new book, this Possibly the last of the Grimlick stories. We don't know yet. Uh, so if you want a copy of this, go along to our website, thewitchesbazaar.com. Uh, and on the front page, there's a big red button that you can click and go along and you can purchase this amazing book of Grimlick's Adventures. Uh, and there is also a link on that page uh, if you want to buy all three. Uh, you got Grimlick and the Bearded Ones, Grimlick and the Wizard Watchers, and Grimlick and the Knights of the Bad Temper. And if you want all three books, you get a massive discount. Uh, so go along. Go and buy the book and find out what happens to Grimlick and his smalls and the Knights of the Bad Temper. Blessings. Sorry, uh... Sorry about that, listeners. I guess our art supply stocks were hijacked. Anyway, thank you, Ian, for joining me here today. Is there anything else you want to say to our listeners? Um, yeah, I think just muchly joyly life. Wise words from the creator of Grimlock and Professor Murphy Wolf. And as for you, listeners... Don't forget to close your curtains tonight. Good night, creators. Sweet dreams. The Zombie Motion Podcast is a production of Zombie Motion. It is written by Henry Wilson and produced by Henry Wilson. The host of the show was Zombie Motion. The guest today was Ian Newbronner. Today's art supply section was Grimlick and the Knights of the Bad Temper by Ian Newbronner. Find them at www.newbronnerschildrensbooks.co.uk Thoughts? Questions? Submit them in the comments below or email us at zombiemotionofficial at gmail.com The word of the day is Do you even understand the gravity of the situation? Do you even truly know what reality is? Go and show your bum somewhere else. From C. Massacs.